Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps Peepers, Roberts and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. Uh, I, never, I never know how weird you're going to make the uh, introduction. Well, I just, you know, after all this time, it's still, it, I mean, I get it. There's new listeners, but I'm yeah. like, do I still have to say it's me? <laughs> you don't do have I, to. Do I still have to say, hello, I'm Lindsay. Yeah. You, you've, you've never met me before. <laughs> uh, we hope your summer is wrapping up well as we head into the spooky season. Whoop, whoop. Uh, also, when this episode comes out, we'll be in Pennsylvania preparing oh. for our second Wet Hot Bad Magic summer camp. So hope that we're experiencing good weather. I just got full body chills. Yeah, preparing ah. for an awesome weekend. Um, also, thanks to all the creeps and peepers who watched my new stand-up special, Trying to Get Better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As we record this, just over a week after the special came out, uh, already has around uh, 270,000 views, so Woo-hoo! many comments. Yeah, shares, subscribes, and likes. And because of you creeps and peepers watching, uh, you know, YouTube is starting to recommend it to more and more additional people. Beat the algorithm. Yeah, making a million views, which is kind of the gold standard for specials now, yeah. uh, you know, feel very possible. So again, thank you so much. You guys are pretty okay. <laughs> also, happy anniversary to us. Scared to Death turns four. Oh. September 17th. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, you we got have the wrong month, buddy. And <laughs> we got a fun new uh, simple four-year anniversary design in store now to celebrate a big milestone. Uh, limited design available on a tee or sweatshirt. Cool handwritten Scared to Death with the A in death being four. So you can head on over to badmagicmerch.com and check it out. Dun, dun, dun. Cool. And then I know before we get into stories, you have the charity to share. I do. I do. Sorry. It was slow to arrive this month with so many other announcements. We are trying to limit them. So uh, finally sharing with you that this month, as we are headed to camp, we are going to work hand in hand with the the camp host site, uh, Camp No Counselors to uh, donate to a worthy nonprofit related to camp. So we landed on this place called uh, Maury's Camp, also known as Project Maury. It was born out of a summer camp pioneer, Maury Stein, and his dream that all children, regardless of economic status, should experience the life-changing gift of summer camp. Um, Beginning as a summer camp experience, Project Maury has grown into a comprehensive year-round youth development organization with Maury's Camp still at the heart of the program. Uh, What I loved about this, because I was like, oh my God, this is so incredible, is that it doesn't just stop at camp. Yeah. Uh, they're committed to, you know, closing these like uh, opportunity gaps for people in different socioeconomic groups. But it's not just the camp. It's like, we can help you figure out how to apply to colleges. We can go on college tours together. And there were just so many different things. Yeah. It was so beautiful to look at the root of it and then how it expanded and grew into so much more. And I just feel like I would have loved to have been friends with this guy. So. <laughs> um, the donation amount is to be determined because when we are at camp, the bartenders there have so generously offered to donate their tips in addition to uh, wow. whatever we're going to donate this month. So stay tuned for the donation amount. And in the meantime, if you'd like to learn more, please visit 
Project Mori. It's M-O-R-R-Y. ProjectMori.org. Nice. Nice. And now, horror stories. Okay. How much fan horror do you have uh, for us this week? Well, not for this week, like last week. I just have my standard two. Okay. Um, and unintentionally, both have uh, uh, well, one has a soldier in it, and one has a police officer in it. So unintentional, like law enforcement, Leo, whatever kind of connection. Which okay. Is- funny <laughs> um i have my standard two. First, we have uh, a modern encounter sent to prison haven't had one of those in a long time we're gonna head to the old missouri state penitentiary penitentiary oh my gosh that word i can never say properly penitentiary penitentiary i want to put like an extra r or something i've anyway penitentiary uh go over its long history of infamous penitentiary infamous prisoners and get into some of the paranormal lore as well as before uh as well, before any with an encounter tale. I threw my whole thing off with uh, that word. I know. Now I'm thinking about it. You had it right. I was going to say, if you're from the Midwest, it's definitely penitentiary. Yeah, penitentiary. Penitentiary. Yeah. Penitentiary. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. After I said it, I'm like, that felt so formal. <laughs> penitentiary. Uh, next, we're going to head to Pendleton, South Carolina, a small town located near the city of Clemson, oh. and check out some claims coming from the supposedly haunted Woodburn Plantation. Let me guess. Is that... Brought to us by uh, Olivia Lee. It is. Yeah. That's her alma mater, yeah? Yep, it is. Yeah. Uh, you cozied up, ready to begin? I am ready, Paschetti. Check out good. these socks. Look how cute they are. Sweet little smiley faces, and then they say, be you. Be you. You be you, and I'll be me. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to, a um, little bit of historical setup before we get into the paranormal aspects of this first story. Okie dokie. Time Magazine once called the old Missouri State Penitentiary the bloodiest 47 acres in the U.S. <laughs> Sorry, I won't laugh every time you say it. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm going to abbreviate it. Great P. The uh, MSP was one of the largest prisons in the U.S. for decades. It was operational for 168 years from 1836 to 2004. It's located on the banks of the Missouri River in Jefferson City, Missouri. The prison was originally constructed because Jefferson City officials wanted to maintain their status as the state capital. And then the prison helped build that capital. Initially, the prison operated on a lease program where businessmen could hire inmates to work, and inmates constructed numerous now historical buildings in Jefferson City, including the first Capitol building, the governor's mansion, and some of the premier homes in the area. The oldest existing building at the prison, Housing Unit 4, also known as A Hall, was built in 1868 with local stone quarried to the site by the inmates. Housing Unit 3 was built in 1914. This building was used for administrative segregation and the capital punishment unit. How strange if you happen to be an inmate helping with the construction of the building where you could be later executed. (laughs) Yeah, right. MSP was a massive complex by 1935 when it housed around 5,300 inmates. It still wasn't big enough for all the prisoners, and they suffered from the effects of overcrowding and from general mistreatment. According to one tour guide, inmates were frequently abused by the guards. Uh, This uh, tour guide told the website Atlas Obscura, the guard could whip a man for literally anything or nothing at all. Look at him wrong in line. He's having a bad day. He's going to take it out on you. One particularly infamous section of the prison was known as the dungeon. Uh, Down in the basement, a dark and cramped space used as a place of punishment. Allegedly, sometimes 12 to 18 inmates were housed in the basement at the same time with no bedding and no toilets. Jesus. Just a bucket. A gas chamber was built by the inmates in 1937 after the governor signed a bill calling for execution by lethal gas, 
rather than by public hangings. And then 40 people were executed at MSP via gas or lethal injection uh, from 1937 to 1989. One of them was a woman named Bonnie B. Hetty. She and accomplished Carl Austin Hall kidnapped a young boy, demanded $600,000 in ransom, largest ransom in U.S. history at that point. The ransom was paid, but the two had already killed and buried the boy. <gasps> they were executed side by side. Hetty was the only woman to be executed in the prison's history. Former deputy, uh, deputy warden, Mark Schreiber, told the crew of Ghost Adventures that hundreds of people who died in a disease outbreak are buried under a parking lot close to the gas chamber. During this long history, the prison housed a range of infamous inmates. One was James Earl Ray, the man who assassinated Martin Luther King Jr. Ray escaped from MSP to do so. On April 23, 1967, he reported to work at the prison bakery and then escaped by hiding in a box used to ship bread. Another inmate was John B. Firebug Johnson. Johnson <laughs> doesn't would, sound real. <laughs> true. Firebug. Johnson would serve seven years in the hole for starting a fire that destroyed over half a million dollars worth of property and killed several inmates. And then he later wrote a book titled Buried Alive, 18 Years in the Missouri Penitentiary. Infamous Prohibition-era gangster Charles Pretty Boy Floyd came to MSP in 1925 for payroll robbery. After he was released in 1929, he robbed banks across the Midwest and committed murders with a band of outlaws. He was once known as the most dangerous man alive. In 1950, another Charles, Charles Sonny Liston, arrived at MSP for robbery with a deadly weapon and larceny. He excelled at boxing in prison, and one day a publisher of a St. Louis newspaper saw him fight, thought he could go pro. The publisher contacted the State Board of Probation and Parole, promised that he would get Liston a job as a professional boxer. He did. When Liston was paroled on in 1952, following year, he won the National Heavyweight Championship in Chicago, went on to become one of the most successful and famous boxers of the 20th century. Whoa. Another infamous inmate was Robert Berdella. Uh, Berdella, known as the Kansas City Butcher, kidnapped, raped, tortured, and killed at least six young men between 1984 and 1987. He held some victims captive for his experiments for up to six weeks. One of the most brutal serial killers I've covered so far in Time Suck. Uh, Brudella was sentenced to life in prison in 1988 and then died of a heart attack behind bars in 1992. Uh, the MSP experienced a bloody riot on September 22, 1954. At 6.30 p.m. that evening, two inmates pretended to be sick to attract two guards. When the guards came over to investigate, the inmates overpowered them and stole their keys. And then one of the guards was badly beaten. The inmates ran through the cell block, unlocking doors. A group of inmates soon ran through the prison and emptied out other cell blocks. Others broke windows and chairs in the dining hall. Some started fires in the prison shops. Four buildings were set on fire during the riot. Missouri Highway Patrol officers from all over the state you know, got to the prison as fast as they could. At the riot's peak, 2,500 inmates were loose inside the prison. Oh my God, that's terrifying. Law enforcement focused on preventing a mass breakout by surrounding the prison and having armed officers on the roof shoot at inmates in the yard. Officers soon managed to gain control of most of the inmates, but a group of about 300 had barricaded themselves in the B and C cell blocks. The next morning, 18 state troopers were chosen to storm the cell blocks and process the inmates. What? One state trooper named... Chosen? <laughs> yeah. Picked, I guess. One state trooper named Walter Wilson later recalled the experience. And his story was recounted on the Missouri State Penitentiary Tour website. It was a tense moment and anything could happen. We were heavily armed with riot guns and submachine guns as we entered the massive building. The inmates inside were shouting, cursing, throwing articles of bedding, furniture, and personal belongings. 
All the windows have been broken out. As we enter the door, we were greeted by flying debris. A 50-pound cake of ice pushed from a tier above barely missed my head. As we plunged through the hallway, wading in four inches of water, I noticed to my left that the water in front of one cell was crimson red. (gasps) Red with the blood of one of the wounded convicts who had been stabbed earlier by a fellow inmate. Over the loudspeaker, the convicts were ordered to get into the nearest cell and be quiet or they would be shot. One inmate ignored the order, leering and shouting. Without hesitation, one of the troopers raised his weapon and shot the troublemaker dead. Damn. At that, the eerie silence fell in the huge building. The convicts retreated into the nearest cells as instructed, and the troopers slammed shut and locked the doors behind them. Up to nine prisoners were crammed into the tiny cells when all were safely locked away and all clear whistles sounded. Then one cell at a time, the men were strip-searched, taken out into the yard and processed by waiting officers. They were returned to their proper cells, and it took until mid-afternoon to finish the job. Four inmates would end up being killed, including Walter Lee Donnell, uh, Walter Lee Donnell, who was beaten to death with a hammer by oh other inmates God. for thinking he was a snitch. 50 inmates and four officers were injured. Uh, the estimated total damage to the facility was around $5 million. Fortunately, there would never be a repeat of that bloody and chaotic event. The Missouri State Penitentiary officially closed for good September 15, 2004. Today, the former prison operates as a tourist attraction that offers overnight paranormal investigations due to its reputation as being an extremely haunted location. The prison is allegedly home to several ghosts. Both inmates and guards have reported experiencing unexplainable events for decades. As the oldest building, it makes sense that A-Hall would be the primary paranormal hotspot. The basement of A-Hall, I know how that sounds, (laughs) was long used to house death row inmates, violent prisoners, or those suffering from mental illness. Some have reported the sensation of being touched there, uh, the foul or smelling the foul smell of body odor, an apparition of a man on one of the catwalks has been spotted, and other shadowy movements inside the building have been detected. Ghost hunters have experienced equipment malfunctions, heard disembodied voices, and even felt the sensation of someone breathing down their neck in a hall. Cell forty-eight is reportedly haunted by that inmate who was beaten to death with the hammer. Some claim that they have captured an apparition that looks like a human figure on camera in this area. Others report feeling a general sense of unease near the cell. A spirit known as Fast Jack (laughs) has been spotted near the control room and in some of the housing units. He's described as wearing a white lab coat and carrying a clipboard, believed to have once worked in one of the medical facilities. All right, Jack. Fast Jack may be a bit of a prankster. For example, a tour guide once walked through the control center to lock up and returned to find all the lockers opened. Others have claimed to witness Fast Jack moving through walls, or appearing for just a moment before disappearing. Excuse me. There are other accounts of cell doors slamming on their own, footsteps, banging noises, objects moving about on their own, and an overwhelming feeling of dread or sorrow inside the prison walls. Those who are brave enough to go into the basement slash dungeon may experience the sensation of bodies crowding around them. Jenny Switzer, a tour guide, spoke about another haunted prison area, H-Hall, a.k.a. Housing Unit 1, with the outlet Atlas Obscura. Switzer recalled her first night as a tour guide. She had an encounter near the infamous J.B. Firebug's old cell. She said, I'm standing in front of the door and I go to flick the light off. And immediately I felt something on my right. I felt his face right here. I can feel him breathing. And I'm thinking, okay, you're imagining this, but you could not pay me any amount of money to turn my head and look toward the door where the dead end is. He'd be standing right there every time. Tour guide Maggie Scott had a strange encounter in a hall 
One night, she and a group were sitting in some chairs on the main walk of the building. Out of nowhere, something came up behind her, wrapped a hand on her shoulder, and squeezed hard. Tour guide, uh, Lupe Buckingham, told Ghost Adventures she has video evidence from, or maybe Lupe, from June 2011 that captures a window opening and closing by itself. The footage was taken in cell 40, which is high up off the ground, making outside interference unlikely. Lupe said it wasn't a windy night, but even if it was, this doesn't explain how the window closed by itself. Lupe and others in her tour group also once heard a man screaming in pain from the dungeon area. Tom Wells, a former prison guard turned tour guide, told Jefferson City News Tribune about his paranormal experiences as a guard. One afternoon, he was speaking to an inmate, but was interrupted when he saw another inmate with long blonde hair and a white t-shirt walk out of a door during count. Wells said, They know they're not supposed to be outside, and I thought to myself, you son of a bitch, I'm going to jump down this guy's throat. And I go out there, and there's nobody there. I thought, man, he's running around the building. So I went up the right side of the building. Nobody was there. And the big gate is there, and it's all locked. And I was like, I know I've seen this guy. So I ran to the left side, and there's a tower right there. I said, hey, anybody ran by here? And he said, no, it's count time. It's locked down. So I'm like, okay, and there's a van sitting there that we used to take supplies up the hill with. And I thought, my God, he's in that van. We got an escape attempt. It's on a hill, so I'm looking underneath as I walk up and I look in the back windows. The seats are all taken. uh, And I look in there and there's nothing there. So I open, oh, taken out. So I open it up. And in the meantime, John, the inmate, had stepped out front and was watching me. I shut the doors and I'm like, what? And he goes, you ain't going to find that guy. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I saw him. I said, what does he look like? And he said he had long blonde hair and a white t-shirt. And I'm like, yeah. He says, Wells, we ain't got nobody in this building that looks like that. And I was just like, whoa, you're right. It felt like somebody just punched me in the chest. With so many stories over so many years, it sure seems like MSP is truly haunted. One former corrections officer certainly believes so. The following anonymous story comes from someone who claims that he worked a short stint as a corrections officer at this facility before quitting due to his encounter with what he believed to be an evil spirit inside the prison. Time now for the tale of It Came from the Dungeon. I worked at MSP in the early 2000s, right before the prison shut down. I only lasted a few months before I quit. If I'm going to be completely honest, I couldn't handle all the crazy shit I had to deal with during my time there. Why it chose me, I have no idea. Maybe I looked like someone he hated in a past life. Maybe he just decided to pick on me because I was a new guy, a fresh college dropout needing a job. I remember being nervous when I started, worried about how I'd be able to help control a large population of violent, dangerous people. I was expecting something out of a movie or TV show about a prison riot, but soon learned that many of the inmates I interacted with day to day were decent guys who just made some mistakes. However, it was obvious they didn't respect me. I saw it in the way they smiled when I gave them an order, with the way they eyed my handcuffs and baton, like we both knew that they could take it from me if they really ever wanted to. Seemed I was destined to quit from the very beginning. In fact, that first day I walked into the prison, I felt weird. I started in the summer, but I was always cold. Even when I was standing outside in the sun, a chill I couldn't escape settled in my bones. I was also in a constant state of high anxiety which I tried to explain away by telling myself it was just nerves over the new job. When I did my rounds on the catwalks, I felt eyes on me, but it wasn't the inmates who were staring at me. This was different. It felt like something else watching me from above. After a couple months on the job, I became acquainted with what everyone called the dungeon, that dark space of nightmares. 
Seeing the dungeon made me want to stay on the straight and narrow for the rest of my life, just so I would never end up in a place like that. I only ever saw one guy kept down there, and only one time. It was like he'd been sent to hell. The worst part was the constant darkness. It lingered, seemingly following me when I'd leave the dungeon until the last moment, when it was forced to release its hold over me. One day, when I was in the dungeon, making sure no one was where they weren't supposed to be, minutes away from heading home and getting some rest, I heard footsteps behind me as I headed towards the exit, eager to go into the light. My hand reflexively grabbed for my baton, my whole body tightening up in fight-or-flight response mode as I spun around. What happened next lasted for just a split second, but it was one of the strangest things I've ever witnessed. Time slowed down, allowing me to remember everything I saw. I saw the outline of a figure, darker than the surrounding environment, running at me and emitting a horrible growling sound. I flinched, bringing my hands up to my face as the growling grew louder, but then it all stopped. I dropped my hands and reached for my pocket flashlight. While I didn't find any shadowy figures lurking in the dark, my light shined on an inmate's grinning face, pressing against the bars and staring right at me. I jumped back, which only made him grin wider. We stared at each other for a moment, and he whispered, It found you. The way he said it and the way he laughed afterwards made me jump and drop my flashlight. He continued laughing as I fumbled around for the light. I snatched it up off the floor and didn't look back, almost sprinting to get away. That was the one prisoner I mentioned. I took a deep breath before I came out. One of the biggest unspoken rules was that you didn't talk about ghosts. I couldn't show that I was scared because then people would start to worry that I wasn't fit for the job. I'd had one conversation about it on my first day. An older CEO named Brian told me that I might see or hear some strange things, but that I shouldn't talk about it to anybody. I hadn't believed him at first, but now I suspected it was more than just a story told to spook me. The weirdness continued once I got home. Normally, my dog, Douglas, came to the door to greet me. I lived with a roommate, but we both worked a lot and had different schedules. Doug got lonely and was always excited to see anyone who walked through the door. Today, he sat on the living room floor and stared me down with a wary look in his eyes, sniffing the air. Hey, Doug. I squatted down and patted my leg, trying to get him to come over to me. He just kept staring, not moving a muscle. What's wrong, bud? I asked as I took a step closer. Doug got up and ran to the other side of the room, avoiding my touch. His reaction really unnerved me. If nothing had just happened at work, I would have thought that something had happened to him and that I needed to take him to the vet. But considering what had happened, I worried that I'd brought something bad home and that Doug could see it or sense it. Thinking that gave me the chills. I tried to shake it off and I headed upstairs to take a shower. Fortunately, the rest of the night passed without incident. Doug got over whatever had bothered him earlier and eventually came to sit with me on the couch like he always did. And then he followed me upstairs once it was time for bed. I was so relieved. I don't think I would have slept much if he wouldn't have been, uh, you know, if he would have still been avoiding me. The next morning, I put on my uniform and got into my car ready to make the short drive back to the prison. I'd had a good sleep and had gotten up early enough to eat breakfast and get in a workout. I was feeling great that day, but my good mood wouldn't last. It ended up being a particularly rough shift. I had to break up a fight in the dining hall. We also found contraband during our rounds and had to perform a shakedown, putting the COs and the inmates in a bad mood for the rest of the day. Then when I got home from work, Doug was acting weird again. He avoided me for a few hours before he was back to his old self. It bothered me, but since I hadn't experienced any strange ghost-like things that day, it didn't bother me as much as the day before. The next couple of weeks were perfectly normal. I stayed busy with work, and although I was still on edge from what I saw down in that dungeon, I didn't see or hear anything odd. 
Doug still avoided me when I first came home, but I was starting to think it was just some weird dog thing and not anything to do with me or what I'd seen. I tried to forget about what happened, but I couldn't. Every night before I fell asleep, I saw that inmate's face in my mind, grinning at me, telling me that it had found me. I shouldn't have let his words get to me. In fact, I hadn't seen him again since that day. I assumed he'd been transferred to some psychiatric facility or something. He sure seemed crazy. Still, I wondered what he meant. What was it? Had he seen the shadow or heard the strange growl too? Would I ever see that thing again? I hope not. I really, really hoped not. But then eventually, my luck ran out. I had just finished another long shift and was exhausted. This is something I noticed later, that it always came to me when I was tired or stressed as if it preyed on my vulnerabilities. I was walking back to my car, a few co-workers trailing behind me. I was about 100 feet from my car when I saw an inmate leaning against the, leaning against the driver's side door, arms crossed over his chest, face turned up to the sky. The first thought that ran through my mind was, what the fuck? The second was, am I crazy? We were in view of the guard tower. I had at least three people around me who could see my car and no one seemed to have a care in the world that an inmate was loose in the parking lot. Hey, I shouted, speeding up my pace. The closer I got, the more I could see that the little details of this guy were off. Reflecting on it later, I realized that the inmate's uniform was outdated. I also noticed that he wasn't quite there. He was there in the sense that I could see him, but he wasn't totally solid. He had a gray cast over him, and I could almost see my car through his body. And his behavior didn't make any sense. Instead of answering or running away, this inmate grinned at me. Before getting close enough to touch him, I stopped running, turned around to look at my coworkers, wondering why the hell they weren't also racing to catch this guy before he escaped. One of them had stopped and was just looking at me with a raised eyebrow. You good, man? Am I, am, am I good? I sputtered. There's a... I turned around. He was gone. My eyes, my eyes scanned the environment. He had to be there, but he wasn't. There were no sirens, no shots fired from the guard tower to stop him from running away. None of my coworkers were acting with any sense of urgency. Had I really just imagined all of that? Lost in my head for a few moments, I finally realized I still needed to say something to my colleague. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Sorry. He didn't seem like he believed me, but he let it go, probably because he wanted to go home just as much as I did. Another month passed before my next experience. This time it was worse because I didn't see anything at work. It happened once I got home. Doug and I had just gotten back to our usual routine. He was greeting me when I came home again, but he didn't greet me this day. And he didn't warm up to me over the next few hours either. Normally, Doug always wanted to be upstairs with me while I slept, but this day he sat on the living room floor and looked up at the stairs when it was time for bed, seeming worried. I stood at the foot of the stairs and turned to him. Come on, Doug. Come on. Let's go to bed. Normally, when he heard me say bed, he raced past me up the stairs, but now he just looked at me, didn't move. I rolled my eyes, walked over to him, and scooped him up in my arms. He wasn't a small dog, but I could carry him. When we got near the stairs, Doug freaked out like he had never freaked out before. He snarled at me, tried to jump out of my arms. I released him, more than a bit shaken up, and left him downstairs for the night. I quickly realized why Doug hadn't wanted to come upstairs with me. I got into the shower and stayed there for a long time. It felt so warm and nice. I didn't want to leave my brightly lit up bathroom to try and fall asleep in the dark after, how D after Doug had behaved. When I finally stepped out of the shower, the entire bathroom was steamed up, including the mirror. I stood in front of the sink to brush my teeth. When I looked up, I saw a shape appear behind me in the foggy reflection. One second it wasn't there, and the next it was. I couldn't make out the details, but it looked like the outline of a man. I could see his skin tone, hair color, the light-colored clothes he wore, but not his face. 
I froze up for a second, then turned around ready to defend myself against an intruder. As I raised my fist, I realized I was swinging at the empty air. No, 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 I thought to myself. It had gotten into my house. I couldn't sleep that night. I tossed and turned, even tried keeping a lamp on to see if it would make me feel better. I eventually went downstairs to check on Doug and sleep on the couch where I could keep an eye on the door. He whimpered and avoided me all night. I hadn't asked my roommate if he'd noticed anything unusual lately. We almost never saw each other for more than a few minutes at a time. We were acquaintances who were in desperate need of roommates because we couldn't afford to live alone, not best friends by any means. If I started talking about seeing things in the house, he'd probably move out. I was on my own with this. It, whatever that was. I was still reluctant to call it a ghost. Left me mostly alone for another week, but not completely. I felt those phantom eyes on me every day at work. Whenever I had to go down into the dungeon, it felt stronger, like that thing was there with me, even if I never saw it. The week passed mostly uneventfully, thankfully, and I was excited to make it to my Saturday day off. I was going to sleep in, take Doug to a park in the morning so we could go for a jog, and then go out with some friends at night. My schedule moved around and I hadn't had a weekend off in a long time. To make my situation even better, my roommate had recently started dating a new girl and was spending weekends at her place. He left a note on the counter, said he would be back on Sunday. Doug came with me to my room, just like he used to, which was nice, and I fell asleep without any trouble. But then I woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. The first thing I noticed was that my bedroom door was wide open. Immediately, my heart was racing and I was on edge. Not only did I always shut my door, I always locked it at night. And that meant one thing. Someone was in the house. The second thing I noticed was that Doug was not in my room. I kept a Glock 19 in my bedside table. Slowly, trying to be as quiet as possible, I reached over, opened the drawer, and took it out. Then I crept out of bed and headed to the door, heart pounding the entire time. I stepped out into the hallway. My roommate's door was still closed. Instinctually, I knew that it was in my house, whatever it was. I turned my body towards the dark staircase, dreading the walk ahead of me. With each step, my body tensed up as adrenaline surged through me. When I finally reached the bottom of the stairs, I heard it, a low growl, and it was coming from behind me. I knew he wasn't there, but I called out to the darkness anyway. Doug? The growling grew louder, and it wasn't coming from a dog. Dread overwhelmed me, the heaviness of it rooting me in place, making it nearly impossible to move. I worried that if I didn't move soon, that thing was going to come down the stairs and, well, I don't know. I don't want to think about that. I also worried that if I ran, it would follow me. I had no idea what to do. My mind randomly focused on an old memory, something I had seen my grandmother do throughout my childhood, anytime she had a bad dream or was feeling uneasy. I'll be honest, I wasn't a religious person and still am not. It felt uncomfortable to say the words out loud, but I didn't know what else to do, so I said in a weak voice, I cast out these spirits in, in Jesus' name. Amen. It didn't work. I think you have to do more than just say the words. You have to really mean and believe them. The thing growled again now, and I heard a shuffling noise above, like it was moving closer to me. I was so afraid. I tried saying the words again with a bit more conviction. I, I cast out these bad spirits in Jesus' name. Still wasn't enough. The growling grew louder. I was completely terrified now. I felt weighed down more than ever by that heavy feeling, but somehow I really found my voice. I started saying it again and again, growing louder and louder. I cast these bad spirits out in Jesus' name. I cast these bad spirits out in Jesus' name. The thing continued growling louder and louder, sounding closer and closer, but I still couldn't see it in the darkness of the stairwell. I kept talking until I was shouting, trying to be louder than the growling that felt like it was filling up the whole house. 
And then finally, the growling abruptly stopped, the house falling into complete silence. The tension drained out of my body and I collapsed to my knees, sweat dripping down my forehead. My throat felt raw from shouting. I have no idea how many times I must have said those words. Dozens and dozens of times, hundreds. The house felt empty now, in a good way. I could tell that that thing, whatever it was, was gone and a sense of relief washed over me. But then once I could stand, I realized that the side door to my house was also open and Doug was nowhere to be found. (gasps) Now I felt panicked. I ran through the yard and down the street, shaking his favorite bag of treats, screaming his name. I didn't care what anyone thought of me in that moment. I searched for him for the next few hours until the sun started to rise and exhaustion forced me to return home, tears stinging my eyes once I reached my front steps. Whatever evil that thing that was that entered my life had just caused me to lose my best friend or taken him somehow. It was my day off, but I drove to the prison anyway after sleeping for a few hours. Brian was working that day and I needed to talk to him. I showed up when I knew his shift was ending and waited in the parking lot. He was surprised to see me, but also concerned. I looked like a complete mess. Even though it was a major taboo, I told him what had happened and that whatever I saw inside the prison followed me home. I needed some kind of advice, some kind of help. Brian told me that he would call his church and have a priest come to my house to do a blessing. Then he gave me another piece of advice I would soon follow. You should quit. He didn't say why, but he said it with such conviction that I knew he was right. I put in my two weeks notice at the end of my next shift. The priest came to my house and performed a blessing a few days later. I felt lighter now that I'd cast off the weight of that job. I opted to have my last check mailed to me so I would never have to set foot inside that prison again. Still, I couldn't be happy with a huge part of my life missing. I spent any free time I had searching for Doug around the neighborhood and putting up flyers. A week later, I got a call from my roommate while I was out on another search. The best call of my life. He found Doug. He found him in the woods behind our house. Somehow he had made it back home after being gone over a week. I knew that the house had been cleansed from any bad energy because Doug ran right inside with no hesitation. About a month later, I got a security guard job at a new, very much not haunted plant outside the city. The commute was farther, but it was worth it for the peace of mind I felt both during and after work. I never figured out exactly what I saw at that prison. I didn't speak to Brian again beyond thanking him for his help, and none of my colleagues would have told me if they saw anything anyway. I had a thousand questions I knew would never be answered. Was that male inmate I saw in the dungeon different from the shadowy entity that seemed determined to attack me? Or were they the same thing, appearing in different forms? I hadn't thought we kept prisoners down in the dungeon anymore the day I saw him, and I don't think I ever mentioned him to any fellow COs. Was he even real? My only theory about the whole situation is that the source behind whatever it all was came from all the pain and suffering that occurred over the years inside that dark place full of so many tortured and twisted people. Hi, yay, yay. I'm so glad Doug came home. I know. Yay, Doug. I was getting very worried about Doug. (laughs) Oh, I thought it was going to be not good news when his roommate called. Mm Mm-hmm. They found him dead or something. Oh, Dougie. Yeah, Doug freaked out but made it back. I want a dog named Doug. I know. It's a fun dog name. It's a fun dog name. I like Douglas, too, for the I know, the full. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have some pictures. Okay. This first one, just an old, undated photo of the Missouri State Penitentiary. Uh, Excuse me, taken some time in the early 20th century. Did you say undated? Yeah, like uh, there's no date attached oh, to the photo. I was like, it is definitely a dated photo, but I know what you mean now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought you were trying to pull one of your fast ones on me. I was like, mm, no. No. <laughs> this next one, more recent photo of the now former prison. Okay. I mean, essentially, same, same. Mm-hmm. And now uh, this next one, the, uh, you know, obligatory dark and spooky photo of the prison. Yep. That's really pretty. I know. It is a cool photo. Yeah. Uh, this next photo, a portion of the dungeon. 
It doesn't really make me think of a prison when I look at the outside. I know. It's really pretty. Yeah. Oh, God. That I mean, would be so awful. Just like stuck down there in just total darkness. No bathroom in your cell. I wonder what no the bedding. like uh, the psychological studies are of like, how long could you be down there before it has long-lasting effects? I'll, I'll speculate in a second. Uh, this next last picture, another creepy interior shot from the old prison. Uh, definitely looks like a place that would get your mind racing with paranormal possibilities. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I know like um, just from doing some some you know episodes about prisons or yeah, yeah. You know, prison as a major setting and some of the time like episodes. Uh, I can't remember, but they, but there is like there's suggestions, I guess they don't do it anymore. I think, or maybe, well, maybe they do actually, I'm People sure they still, still go into solitary. Yeah, they go into solitary. Not that kind. I don't think yeah, not don't like think sensory so. deprivation, Sorry. you know, solitary where there's like no light, no nothing. No, I think it's just like, no, I mean, this you're, is, you're just alone. Yeah. Alone. And I think it's sort of like what we do see, which is like, you know, just the tiny little slot for yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, things to come in and out. But there is a window. There's a bathroom. There may or may not be a bed, but I think there is. I, 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 yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I know with the, this one episode I did about this New Mexico prison. This was years ago. I think oh, yeah. 1980, this big ride. They would, they're solitary. There was like a, a legal suggestion or not, not legal suggestion, a, a legal, like a law based on like how long you could keep somebody in solitary. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it was like just a prison rule or actually a law as I say this, but it was because they they feared that if you left somebody in there too long, just completely alone, it would just break them psychologically. Yeah. But I know that that place would leave people longer than the than they were supposed to. And you don't, but you don't remember if it was like a day, two days. Uh, I remember it was like five, six, seven days, something like oh, okay. that. Yeah, you just didn't say. Oh yeah, sorry. But then some people would be left down there, like you know, in solitary for like you know a few weeks. Yeah. And just with no sense of time, because there'd be no clocks, mm-hmm. there'd be no one to answer questions. Right. It, it's You can't get comfortable. And I remember this one specifically, like it was cold as well. Like the temperature wasn't good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it would just make you go crazy. I know. I was just thinking about like, when you said the cold thing, this is so not the same. I am aware of that. Yeah. I was on a flight once, just like coming home from I don't know where, and I was in the window seat and for whatever reason it felt like air was like gushing in from the outside it was just so freaking cold and i remember like thinking this plane is abnormally cold and i was so cold i was shaking couldn't get comfortable for like four or five hours and that's in like an airplane where i could get up and go to the bathroom (laughs) i I could ring the call button see if they had any blankets like and i was like near tears just i was so miserable what if you're just shivering in a little stone room with no bed no toilet for just you know week or two No light for large stretches of time. Yeah. Yikes. We just watched Blackbird, which is really good. Was it on Apple TV? Uh Yeah. Yeah. We crammed that in over the weekend. And there is a scene where someone is in solitary. And I just, as I was watching it, I thought like, how long could I do that? And there's like the messed up part of my brain that's like, seems kind of great. Like nobody's asking me for anything. Ah. I'm not like, there's no emails. There's no employees. There's no husbands. There's no children. Like, cool. Not under those circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, but you do start to wonder, you're like, okay, I could do like a day or two. And and it's not like, uh, you know, you'd have your phone or a book or anything to entertain yourself. Just like sitting there, just staring at the wall. I know. For how long? How long do you think you could do before you'd really start to crack? (sighs) I mean- I think compared to like a lot of people, I, I do have a pretty active imagination, mm-hmm. which is like I'm always thinking about stories and just little uh, vignettes in my head. Yeah. And so I could amuse myself with just like going into my head for a while. Yeah, but how but long I don't is know. a while? A day? Two? Yeah, I'd have to really work on like don't 
put any expectation of when I'm going to get out of here. Yep. Don't don't be trying to like internally count the seconds or count the minutes. Just try to go to some almost like meditative place. But I, but I don't know how long that would work. Yeah, I think two days would be my max. Like before, yeah. I would start to just be like, "Oh my god, I get think, me out of here." I think it would also. Uh, my answer would be different based on whether or not I knew how long I was in. Like if it was an indefinite, mm. like if I thought I, it was an indefinite time in there, yeah. how long would I last? Versus if I knew it was only going to be three days, I'd probably just like rationalize that in my head. You know? yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like I have three sleeps. Okay, if I, yeah. It'd be so weird though, your, your circadian rhythm, like okay. you wouldn't know when three days was. I wonder how slow time would feel because if you're not seeing the sun come up or sun go down, if you don't know when it's daylight or night. Mm-hmm. In this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like in most now you kind of would. Sure. But if you had no concept of time, mm-hmm. oh, I bet those three days would feel like three weeks. Okay, let me um, make a few more quick notes. Sure. If we come in the house and Penny and Ginger don't immediately lose their minds. H- how freaky would that be? I know. I was just thinking about like the the basics of the story. Like that's terrifying because even, okay, our dogs are pretty hyper when we come home, but most people who have a pet, it's like when you come in the house, they come to you and say hello, or you yeah. call for them and they come. I can't imagine the dogs just like, no, no thanks, mom, no thanks, dad. Yes, we but- can't. We can't leave for five minutes. I can't walk down the driveway and get the mail and then come in the house without them thinking I've been gone for five hours. It's like a little parade again. Yep, mom, we love you. Mom, we love you. Yeah, just like jumping around on their hind legs. Yep, yep. Um, no, I think especially with two dogs, because if 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 you just had one. My first thought, if one dog suddenly was acting that weird, mm-hmm. would not be paranormal. It, it, I would be worried totally. about the dog's, like, you know, brain. Yeah. Like, something's going on. Did the dog have some kind of stroke? Exactly. We're going to the vet. Like, immediately. Yep. But if you, but if I came home and both Penny and Dee Dee, like, did it. But, but yeah, <laughs> if both Penny and Ginger, like, stayed in their little beds and not only wouldn't come over, but then when I went over closer to them, like, growled. Yeah, like, or, or afraid like, of you? Yeah, seemed freaked out, staring at me or through me or above mm-hmm. me. Ooh, that would not feel good at all. That, that would freak me out so much. Yeah. And then the door, the bedroom door being open after locking it. <sighs> and then the side door to the house. I mean, all of those elements. I was like, this is too much. Yeah. Because then outside of just paranormal, you're like, who was in Who was in here? Who, who came in? in my room? I know. While I was asleep. And the door was locked. Yeah. That's, that's so scary. Because door locked is not like, oh, I thought I closed the door all the way. Maybe the dog yeah. got up in the middle of the night and was like futzing around with the door and opened like. You know, Ugh. nope, that is a whole other level of terror. That stuff's in my head right now where um, there's an episode of Time Suck, you know, coming out. Actually, oh it'll, al- it'll already be out by the time this is out that I've been working on about this trailside killer. And this guy, David Carpenter, what was so scary about him, you know, like the majority of serial killers, you know, obviously nobody deserves to be targeted by a serial killer, but they will go well, after- some people that I feel like. If, if other, yeah, if they went after other serial killers or like pedos, that'd be nice. Exactly. But like, um, you know, they tend to go after like marginalized people or people who have made a decision that have put themselves in a place where they could be taken and have people not know like a hitchhiker yeah or they go after don't hitchhike you guys my god historically they go after like sex workers a lot you know people willing to get in the car of a stranger and not have Mm -hmm. somebody know where they've gone right right but every once in a while there's one who just comes after people in a very different way now this guy was like people hiking about on the trail for the most part Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. enjoying nature just come out of the bushes literally and get them like a monster. Which, by the way, is like something I'm afraid of just in general. Yeah. Wh- like, wh- like before like before you even told me about this guy, I was like, oh, no, every time I go on a hike, I'm like, I don't know. Am yeah. I going to come out of this alive? Yeah. So he, I mean, he was like, yeah. Uh, He's my worst your nightmare. worst nightmare that way. But I think the very worst, it made me think about some in the past, like uh, the Golden State Killer did this sometimes. Um, and then uh, the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, where 
people would just be uh, actually BTK did this. Mm-hmm. People would just be in their homes. Yep. Uh, especially with Ramirez asleep in their bed. Same thing with a D'Angelo, like the Golden State Killer. I just can't imagine that extra level of violation where yes. you're in what's supposed to be your safest place. Mm-hmm. You're in your own bed and you wake up to a maniac with a weapon standing above you. Like, ugh. I think I would. That's worse than uh, a ghost or anything for me. I think I'd pass out in complete and utter fear. Yeah, just go into shock. Complete shock. 100% shut ugh. down. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Oh, man. I know. And then that just like makes my heart ache just thinking about kids and like, you know, terrible situations that they are yeah. like, living in where they're, they haven't asked for the terrible hand that they've been dealt, but like, yep. you know, they live with somebody who abuses them in one way or the other. Right. So their bedroom's not safe. Yeah. Like nothing is safe. No safe, no space is safe. I mean, like, you Man. know, domestic violence, like you just, I don't know, your home is supposed to be your sanctuary. Yeah. I believe that. I've always believed that. And it like, even just, even if you're not being abused, just like when your socioeconomic circumstances in life put you in a position where you don't even feel safe, just like locking the door to your house or your apartment or yeah. whatever. It's like, man, you don't realize how sacred that is mm-hmm. until there's the potential of it being violated. I'll take, I'll take as, as terrible as this would be. I'll take uh, spooky demon in my room like that over madman. Yeah, yeah, because at least then I can probably move. <laughs> right, right. Or bless or cleanse or something. Oof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways. Uh, are we done with that story? Oh, yeah. So done. Okay. Uh, let's go explore a haunted South Carolina former oh, yeah. plantation. Let's go. Right after today's Mitchell sponsor break. Thanks for listening to our sponsors, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you heard something that appealed to you. A little bit of historical setup, and then we'll uh, go over a few claims in this smaller of the two stories. Pendleton, South Carolina, is a small town located near the city of Clemson. Pendleton is most well-known for its historic town square and the nearby Ashtabula and Woodburn plantations. Ashtabula. <laughs> yeah, one in Ohio, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Woodburn is the focus of today's story. Woodburn is a four-story plantation house built as a summer home by Charles Coatsworth, uh, Charles Coatsworth Pinckney, the lieutenant governor of South Carolina from 1832 to 1834. Woodburn was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1970 and is now part of the Pendleton Historic District. The property has had several owners. Charles Pinky sold it to Davis S. Taylor, who sold it to John Bailey Adger, who sold it to his brother. The Adger family expanded the house to 18 rooms and the farmland to more than 1,000 acres. Wow. Nearby Clemson University purchased the property from the U.S. government at some point in the 1950s and started using it for agriculture classes. Then in 1966, Clemson College deeded the plantation to the Pendleton Historic Foundation. The current property features the original plantation house and 10 acres of land with a walking trail that leads to some old farm outbuildings. The property also has a reproduction of the Adger Victorian Carriage House, a log cabin built in 1798 that was moved to the site, and a reproduction of the house where enslaved people and tenants once lived. This reproduction was constructed based on information from Jane Edna Hunter, a woman born on the Woodburn Plantation in 1882, whose parents were sharecroppers. Woodburn is now a museum open on Saturdays and Sundays from April to October and run by that Pendleton Historic Foundation. And in the fall, the Pendleton Historic Foundation offers ghost tours of both the Ashtabula and the Woodburn houses. Woodburn seems to be the setting for most of the paranormal encounters. Time now for the tale of the ghosts of Woodburn. An apparition of a woman in white has been seen in the formal dining room, 
and some have heard what sounds like the voice of a young child in the same area. The woman in white has also been spotted in one of the upper windows of the attic. The possible identities of the woman and child, and whether or not their lives are connected, or were connected, is unknown. One tour guide claimed that the woman in white tapped on their shoulder. The spirit also seems fond of young girls. There are reports of the spirit playing with girls' hair and humming, according to blogger Lori Epps. Some contractors or workers have claimed to see a man in a brown suit also out on the outdoor patio. This spirit quickly vanishes whenever someone tries to take a photo. The strange and incredibly creepy phenomenon of disappearing footprints on the attic wall has been reported numerous times. According to a local tour guide, children used to put their feet into ashes to make marks on the walls. Some of the prints are permanent, but they were allegedly, or there have been reports of mysteriously disappearing and reappearing additional footprints surrounding the existing prints that can't be explained. In 2010, reporter John Stade wrote an article for the Independent Mail, a paper for Anderson County, South Carolina, featuring an interview with former resident Francis Lewis, who grew up in the Woodburn house. Francis lived in the house from 1941 to 1953, until Clemson rented out the property. Her family lived on the second floor with other family members renting the first floor. Frances said that she and her half-sister Barbara liked to explore the grounds in the house, and that one day they went down to explore the basement, which Frances described as dungeon dark. The two girls came across a large concrete slab with a handle that could be used to lift it up. Under the slab was a chamber large enough to fit a person, and on the back of the slab were scratch marks. They were told by their landlords that the chamber was used to punish enslaved people. They found another room in the basement with what uh, which Francis describes as a rack inside it. Francis told John Stade, what was so horrible up above was a big wooden beam and on this beam were two pieces of rotten leather. Oh my God. We were told that's where they hung the slaves up. Oh my God. However, amateur historian Tim Drake said that this room may have been used to hang meat, but that no slaves were reported to have ever been in the main house. Drake also said that the chamber was used as a 22,000-gallon cistern to hold rainwater and that none of the owners of Woodburn were ever known for being especially cruel to enslaved people. However, that doesn't mean that exceptional cruelty or abuse never took place. Common sense would tell you that plenty of horrible things happened all around the nation during America's long period of plantation slavery that never made it into the history books, things that people wouldn't want documented for a whole host of reasons. Despite Drake's historical assessment, Frances Lewis maintains her beliefs about the purpose of the chamber and the room in the basement, saying, I know what's there, and I'd swear on a stack of Bibles. Lewis also reported witnessing a lot of paranormal activity on the second floor where she lived with her family. She recalled several unexplainable events that occurred throughout her childhood involving objects moving about on their own. In one example, she said one night for no reason, a churn lid came into the room upstairs with the dasher handle still on it. Francis also saw a female figure walking through a field on the property. Historian Tim Drake showed her a photo of what appears to be a white figure in the nursery window, and Francis said it looked like the apparition she saw as a girl. Tim Drake also revealed that he has heard strange noises while working in the house, and that the police have even seen a figure in the window. Although many locals believe that the Woodburn Plantation is haunted by a few different spirits, no one knows who they were or why they might haunt the property. I mean, let me guess why. Yeah, based I, on that terrible little like. Any plantation, any yeah. plantation, anytime Oof. you hold any person against their will mm-hmm. anywhere and force them into any form of slavery and whatsoever. Abuse them. Yeah, yeah. It's like, get the, f- get out of here. Of course it's going to be haunted. 
Oh, can't imagine why. I'm not a fan of that historian guy. (laughs) He felt like he was viewing history through rose-colored glasses. I was like, uh, buddy. Well, they didn't write it down, so it never happened. Couldn't couldn't be true. You know. I have a few pictures. Get out of here. Tim Drake, whatever your name is. (laughs) This first one is the... uh, yeah, the supposedly haunted home with the Woodburn Plantation. Okay, the thing about plantations that bums me out the most, mm-hmm. and this is so like, and I, I, I realize how this is about to sound. Well, the, I I just love plantation houses. Like they're that style so of architecture. beautiful. Yeah, those big and, covered porches. Yeah, like huge verandas, these Rams. giant pieces of property. Like yeah. a, in the south, they usually like the weeping willows and the long driveway. Yeah. It's like it makes me so it bums me out when I love them so much because I'm like. I can look at it for about three seconds and be like, yeah. oh, beautiful. And then immediately my heart starts to just melt, tears in my eyes, like, fuck all the plantations. I just want to burn yeah. them all. We should just burn them all down. Like, I just get so enraged. I do think about how the structure, like, is just uh, obviously this inanimate object. I know, has but no feelings, no sense of history, you know, like, as far as the is building itself. it is a symbol of... Yes. But just if you take anything that happened out of it and just look at it as a building, I know. it's a beautiful building. It is. It is. It's just hard. My brain won't stay in that space. Yeah. Yeah. This next picture, oh, obligatory nighttime spooky pick at the same building. Yeah. Oh my God. So spooky. Especially the like, um, I'm going to say basement windows, like storm windows uh-huh. or whatever, but the subterranean yeah. windows, you know, like, yeah. Almost they're usually like egress. Like that egress. Thank yeah. you. It's like, what is the word? And they're usually that thick glass block. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then, that, and then what they did with that picture where the, the first story in the basement, lights are on, but then no lights in the second story mm-hmm. adds to the creepiness of it. Well, and then like in the on the upstairs veranda, just the way the lighting yeah. is, you're like, is there something there or not? I mean, I'm sure it was very intentional. Here's a uh, a picture of uh, what the basement looks like. Oh, cool. Oh, dang it. I was hoping uh, for uh, some reaction. No, you just didn't get to see it. My body went, Ugh. Okay. Isn't that a creepy uh, Halloween mask? That yeah. is That is just called, yeah, this has nothing to do with the story. I was just trying to find something that would freak you out a little bit. This is called Smiling Demon Mask. And it's just, you know, Amazon, other places online, you can get it for like this Halloween. And I was like, okay, that is actually particularly creepy. Was it in this story or the previous story that I I suddenly started looking around? Sorry. Previous story. Uh, did you hear that like ticking, mm-hmm. clicking? I thought I heard like a tapping. And then just that little guy was like, oh my God, what if that tapping? And then Ugh. that little face popped up. But what if we were in the middle of telling a story and then just like from the ceiling drops down that? Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, and that one, and I was surprised how cheap that one is. And, and at least based on online images, it looks pretty good. Like if you put like a hoodie oh, yeah. over it to cover all the straps and everything and just have that face, it's real uh, jarring. Yeah. Looking at it. That, mm-hmm. That's a well done. Good adjective. That. Jarring. Yes. <laughs> Any more photos? Nope, that's it. Um, I, I wanted to note that I love when places that have uh, known lore of being haunted or whatever that they just embrace it and like yep all right it's fall Uh time let's just do the haunted tour as opposed to places that are like we don't talk about that or no you know that's too theatrical that's too ridiculous it's like no it's so fun i wonder how many times it's a it's a business decision i mean i'm sure i'm sure Sure. a lot of times almost all times well i'm sure at least some of the time it's just like uh people who are into spooky history themselves yeah and just kind of get a kick out of sharing it Fair. But yeah, but uh, yeah, other times I wonder if it's like, okay, how do we draw more people to this place or, you know, especially like this historical place, get some uh, extra income and we do some some ghost tours. I don't know what is going on with me, but I like keep catching twitchy. things like in the, I know I feel twitchy. I keep catching things like in the corner of my eyes and my heart just keeps jumping up into my throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah. yeah. Do you want your Sharpie back that I stole from you? Uh, Sure. 
just in case. I don't know what I did with all of my pens. I know, because and, and I ran out of pens because I would give you pens, and then you they just keep disappearing. Well, listen, what happened to this is when we leave the studio, I take my little notebook with me because then I have to go do the episode description, and I use it as a reference point. Yeah, and then if I, I guess I just take the pen with me and I don't There's bring it back. So many pens on your desk, I bet. So many, so so <laughs> many. Um. Okay. Well, I'm ready to dig into my side of the show. If you are ready, let's go. Go in traditional Layla. Yeah, and and, and traditional Layla matches the uh, the autumn set here. Ooh, the that autumn Logan, decor. Mm-hmm, the put out here looks great. Does it? Does she still smell good? Yeah, actually, a little bit. Yeah, I think we still have some fresh ones in bags. Like I try to reserve the uh, the reserve preserve yeah. the Laylas in their little bags so that when you get a fresh one, you're like really able to give it a good sniff and be really excited about it because that's, that's nice. how it all started. It is nice. Right? That's how it all started. Like a I fan, think so. Mm-hmm. A fan sent to Layla. Yeah. When one of them, I, I can't remember who, who how we got the first one. I know. I wish I knew. And then, uh, yeah. And then the smell went away and I talked about that and then more started being sent in. It was great. Uh-huh. And then we had the army. Mm-hmm. I do love the Layla army. People at summer camp are probably getting Layla tattoos. Like, yeah, maybe as you're listening to this right now, I have one. Dan has one. It's fine. All right, you ready? I am. All right, here we go. Dear Dan and Lindsay, I like to point to this story when people ask me if I believe in the paranormal. I was born exactly nine months and three days after my great grandma died, which is an important detail that will tie the story together later. The house I grew up in was haunted. It was built in the late 20s, early 30s. I have never had the courage to look into the previous owners. I believe that of the ghosts in our house, only one came with the house. I think the other two just happened to show up there. There were more, but these are the three that stood out. There was the little boy who'd been severely burned. We'd play together in my room with my Hot Wheels or Barbies or whatever else, just like two kids who were close in age would do. He never spoke. Not ever. I didn't find it weird at the time because I never shut up as a kid. I could talk enough for the both of us. While we were playing, we'd sometimes hear the woman in the attic walking around or yelling. The little boy was terrified of the woman in the attic, and so was I. The first time I saw her was the day we moved in. My mom and I had decided to explore the attic to make sense of what it could be used for. There were a bunch of old felt hats from the 1930s up there. I had bent down to pick one up, and as I turned around to show my mom the hat, there she was the woman in the attic. I don't remember many details about how she looked because I tried very, very hard to forget, but she was an old woman and she was not friendly. It took a minute before I began to feel afraid. I was so used to seeing or feeling spirits. I'd always been that kid, talking about dead relatives or people that no one else could see. I wasn't afraid for the first 30 seconds or so, but then she yelled at me for being in her room and I freaked out. Seeing a spirit wasn't abnormal for me, but I'd never been afraid before. After that, I saw her all the time. I was always running to my parents' room to sleep because that was the one place the woman wouldn't follow me. My stepdad eventually put a lock on the attic door, telling me it was so she couldn't get to me. The lock worked, or maybe my belief in the lock worked. Either way, she wouldn't come downstairs anymore, but I could still hear her. She tried to come downstairs, but when she couldn't get through the door, she'd start yelling. And that's where the third ghost comes in, the soldier. He was always kind of around, watching but not saying or doing much. He didn't scare me. He'd say a hi if I did, or smile at me when I noticed him. I was obsessed with his uniform, too. I thought it was so cool. He started showing up more and more when the old woman was stuck upstairs. She would start yelling, and the soldier would stand guard at the attic door for me, and he'd say, I'm watching. 
and it was kind of inside my head. And then he'd say, go to sleep. Fast forward several years. My mom and stepdad split up and we sold that house. We lived with my grandparents for a while and then my mom met and moved in with my current stepdad. When I was in my mid-twenties, I moved in with them to save up money for a house of my own. My mental health was really struggling that year. My mom's dad had recently passed away and I was taking it super hard. And everything just seemed to suck so hard. My anxiety had gotten so bad I couldn't sleep much. I was using energy drinks to get through the days, even though they made my anxiety so much worse. And I was scared all of the time about nothing I could possibly pinpoint. I was lying in bed one night, trying to fall asleep, but failing. The energy in my room suddenly shifted. It wasn't scary though, just like someone else had entered the space. My bed dipped down next to me and I felt a hand on my shoulder. A familiar voice spoke. I'm watching. Go to sleep. I smiled and went to sleep pretty easily. This pattern repeated a lot over the next few months, and even though I'd seen him a lot as a kid, I never saw the soldier at my mom's current home. I would just feel the energy shift and know he was there. That year for Christmas, my mom bought me a membership to an ancestry research thing, as I had mentioned wanting to explore our family history. As I started putting things together, I found a picture of my great-grandfather. I recognized him immediately. I'd never been able to meet him as he died from complications of alcoholism more than 20 years before I was born, and we didn't have any pictures of him in our home when I was growing up, but there he was, the same man who'd made sure I felt safe as a kid, too scared of the ghost in the attic to sleep. My mental health stabilized eventually. I bought a house and I landed a new job. I started researching how to get my great-grandpa a purple heart Mm -hmm. uh, in the Purple Heart Hall of Fame, but I guess he didn't like it too much. He would hide all of the paperwork from me, and he did this on multiple occasions. It took me breaking down crying, thinking I had accidentally thrown everything away during my move, for the documents to somehow mysteriously reappear back in my safe. I knew he had hid the papers, and I knew he had put them back. I stopped trying at that point to get him the Purple Heart. As a final addition, I did see him one other time. After hearing about his struggles with PTSD from my family, I started to feel bad that he was still in a uniform that forced him to live with bad memories. I'd started lighting a candle for him every week, hoping to offer his spirit some healing. I was at my friend's house, cat-sitting, and working on Japanese homework when he suddenly leaned against the doorway, smiled, and said, Boo! And then he vanished just as quickly as he'd appeared. He was in a white t-shirt and jeans. I guess he had finally found some peace. All the best, Lauren. Thanks, Lauren. <laughs> you imagine a lick. No, like that's so so Ooh. wild to have and, and to kind of have like this relationship with this ghost, like this family member. Yes. Where they're protecting you as a kid or when you're younger at least. Yeah. And and then um and that whole thing of like going to the trying to get the purple heart and the purple heart hall of fame. And then like the paperwork going back and forth and then yeah. feeling bad and then seeing them at the end in a different outfit and a little bit more jovial. Like that's uh that would be such a wild ongoing experience. Yes, and Lauren didn't tie the pieces together, but I'm assuming that in the beginning when she says that she was born exactly nine months and three days after her great grandma, mm-hmm. she's connecting somehow like the time and place that she was born with her great grandma, which possibly connected her to her great grandfather. Yeah, you know, I love making those kind of like stretches where it's like, could it be? I was interested by the um feeling of calm when this thing was like, like I, I'm watching, I'm like, yeah. I'm looking out for you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I guess it would just be a feeling that you would have of this thing being on your side that would then make you go to sleep. Cause just looking at it quickly, I'm like, I don't know that that would reassure me <laughs> if I'm having, if I'm, you know, struggling with anxiety, I'm having trouble sleeping. Yeah. And then there's just some specter or some entity or presence. It's like, nah, I got it. You're good. Don't go worry, to bed. buddy. 
Like, nah, not not today, Satan. Kind of like. <laughs> but I guess if you like grew up always seeing stuff, yeah. if it was just because that's what she says, you know, if so, if that was just how life was for you. Yeah. You didn't know any different. And at a young age, when the scary ghost lady upstairs, it felt like she was trying to get you. And this other dude showed up and protected you. Yeah. You would trust it. What don't you think? Yeah, I guess with all those, yeah, the, the, those circumstances around it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's that specific context. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting that she said, like, one ghost came with the house and it seems like the other two showed up. I'm like, that is weird mm -hmm. to think about, like, I don't know, if one gets in or is, like, I don't know, attached to the house, does it create a little portal for other ones to then join it there? Yeah, if, like, if one entity starts to be uh, witnessed by people, yeah, and then, like, now they're believing in it. I mean, there was that supposed relationship between if you put up a wall and, like, nope, I am just not going to see anything that, like, you won't. Yeah. And if you're more open to it, you will. And so if one is spotted, then at least somebody there is open to it. And maybe yeah. that kind of, like, I don't know, for lack of a better term, they're able to feed off of that belief. Yeah. Which would allow more to be seen. Do you ever think they get, like, an invitation, like a formal invitation? <laughs> like I don't think so. Dear John, please come join me at 2222 Main Street. Dear dead person, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and then like there's other ones that are just like, I don't know, you like do not enter. Like this is my house. I haunt this house. So get out of here. Like are yeah. there internal demon battles? Yeah, I don't know. It's a funny thing. I was thinking if you could if you could actually see, okay, if everybody who dies, there is some trace of them that stays on the earth. Mm -hmm. Ghost, whatever, some loop that just plays out over and over, something more sentient, doesn't matter. Just like yeah. there's some kind of trace of them. How terrible that would be if you couldn't shut off seeing any of them. Like if you if you could just see all of them, like the classic, like sixth sense, you know, I see dead people. Yeah. Because there have been so many people who have died. Like there's more people who have died than there are alive. Yeah. So you would be seeing more dead people than living people everywhere you went. We're just be a like curse. You just be sitting in this room and it's just like wall to wall oh, yeah. people, and you kind of just feel like you can't. What do you do? Like part them, like the Red Sea? Like how do you get through <laughs> right. them? Excuse me, I have to walk on you now. Just walking through them because there's that thing of like, oh, you know, this house is haunted because you know some people have died there. People have died everywhere. If you just go back far enough, not here. <laughs> <laughs> no one died in this studio. Probably uh, on this. Base, you know, basic area of this property. I'm sure so. several people have died. No, I don't think so. I think this is a no dead person zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, it's totally safe. No, I know what you mean. It is crazy to mm -hmm. kind of put that into context. Yeah. Okay, you ready for one more? I am. The story, like, I, I love it. It also kind of like cracked me up. I think that you'll enjoy it too, and has a nice little ending. Okay. San Francisco has quite a bit of ghost lore. I wasn't familiar with this particular haunting until years after my experience, but after telling this story to a few people, I found out that I'm not the only one to have met this spirit in the Golden Gate Park. Back in 2013, I was in a bad way. My mom was in the hospital dying from stage four ovarian cancer, and I couldn't get a grip on life. I had always been a chemical enthusiast, and during this time, my drinking and drug use had reached an all-time high. Days blended into nights, blended into days, blended into nights, and I sleepwalked through a shadowy existence, knuckles bruised, raw, throat-coated, and evaporated Royal Gate vodka and oxydust. Pale, pimpled, perpetually sniffling, and sunken-eyed, physically and emotionally broken, I often took long drives through the city at night with no destination. 19th Avenue and Slope Boulevard, the Great Highway, Golden Gate Park. What I remembered most about this particular night was the cold. Even though the city never really dips below 40 degrees, 
Sometimes that ocean wind sweeps up the mist into the air and water molecules bore their way into your skin, through your chest, and into your heart, bringing with them a wet chill that saturates your veins. It was one of those nights, and I couldn't run my heater because my car was an absolute piece of shit. I drove a green 1996 Geo Prism that I had bought for $1,200 from a crooked funeral director in East Oakland. He even threw in a G-Shock a G watch to sweeten the deal. Not only was the car's heater broken, but the passenger side window didn't close all the way. The driver's side lock was busted, the headlights didn't turn on, and the stereo had been ripped out, leaving only a mess of tangled electrical wires. Riding passenger was Gigi, my girlfriend at the time. Her dyed black hair fell over her big, sad, tired eyes as she leaned forward in her seat, rolling a blunt on the cracked glass of her iPhone 5. Rap music played thinly through the tiny phone speaker. We drove through Golden Gate Park, and we weren't talking when the lights of red and blue went up behind us. Fuck. Since my headlights didn't work, I had always known that getting pulled over was inevitable. But my general apathy and psychic paralysis kept me from doing anything about it. Aside from the weed on Gigi's lap, we had an open straw burrita in the cup holder and about 100 Xanax bars bundled up in the glove compartment. The floor of the car was littered with empty beer bottles and spray paint cans. The upholstery stank of malt liquor and swisher guts. We were screwed. Gigi shoved the weed and open container under her seat as I pulled off to the side of the road. We were headed east on John F. Kennedy Drive and had just crossed Park Presidio. My guess is that we were somewhere between Stowe Lake and the DeYoung, but it gets very dark in the park at night, and I was pretty inebriated, so I can't be sure. Shit, shit, shit. We rolled to a stop on the shoulder, half in the street, half in the dirt. The air was tense. No sooner had I put the car in park than I was startled by a tapping on my window. A dark figure had appeared and stood beside my door. I glanced nervously at Gigi, unsure of how the cop had gotten to our car so quickly, but her wide eyes provided no comfort. I slowly cranked the window down. License and registration? The cop's voice sounded thin and far away, almost grainy, like an old record that had been worn down over time. I glanced up to see a hunched-over, frail old man whose ill-fitting uniform hung off his wiry frame. His hair was stringy and gray and combed over to hide a bald head. In the darkness, his skin looked gray and blotchy. His eyes were bloodshot pale blue and inset, hollow and tired. His red, knobby nose was wet and ran into his gray stubble. The unmistakable smell of vodka and cigarettes wafted into the car as he leaned forward, right hand on his gun. I was frozen. Something wasn't right. Seemingly without thought, Gigi opened the glove box to retrieve the registration and the bundled up Xanax tumbled onto the floor of the car. Shit. I looked over at the cop. He stared at the bag and a slow smile crawled across his face, cracking his chapped lips. I stomped on the gas. Somehow, the second I took off, the cop was already on our tire, uh, on our tail, siren blaring. I don't know how that old man got back to his car so quickly, but I did know there was no way I was going to outrun a police cruiser in my shitty Geo. The cop nudged the back of my car with his bumper, nearly sending us spinning off the road into the forest. Gigi grabbed my leg. I leaned forward in my seat, hunched over the steering wheel, heart pounding in my ears, mentally willing the car to go faster. Please go faster. But it was no use. Up ahead, I saw the turnoff for 8th Avenue. I yanked the steering wheel to the left. My bald tires skidded on the pavement. The cop's lights danced inside my car like a nauseous rave, and the siren screamed in our ears. We blasted through the stop sign and out of the park across Fulton. And just like that, he was gone. The air was dark and silent. No sirens, no lights, 
No cop car behind us at all. It was like the second we left the park, he disappeared. I didn't dare pull over. Instead, I took us straight home. I still don't know what the fuck happened that night or how we got so lucky, but I did get my headlights fixed that weekend. As a final aside, I got sober a couple years after that, and I just celebrated eight years clean. Thanks for all you guys do. Anonymous. Oh, thanks, Anonymous, and congrats. I know. And maybe like Misty at the end. I was like, oh, good job. And Anonymous, uh, such a good writer. I know. It really paints a picture. It was like a beautifully told story. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really well done. Um, that's a terrifying concept, just the possibility of like a phantom police officer. I know. And I was trying to remember, like, have we had somebody, not just a phantom police officer, but a phantom police officer pulling you over? I don't think so. We've we've had numerous stories of, you know, cops sharing what they've seen. Yes. Of like ghosts and stuff uh, over the last couple of years. But, but I can't think of it being reversed like that. We've definitely had people like with phantom cars, phantom passengers. Right. But I don't think we've ever had that I can remember a phantom police cruiser with a ghost that comes to your door too. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Yeah. And the way that um, they set this story up, it's like, it sounds like this is like a known entity in the park. Yeah. Like, like at the time they didn't know this, he or she did not, was right. not aware of that. But like then later, you know, sharing this tale with yeah. friends, they were like, oh yeah, like that's the Golden Weird. Gate, you know, park cop guy, whatever, <laughs> yeah. I didn't, whatever. Or or maybe maybe it wasn't a, a ghost and maybe they just truly like raced out, you know, out raced it with that sweet geoprism. I mean, it is possible. Just with all that horsepower. Oh my God. I'm, try- I'm trying to think. I have to look that one up. I remember the Geo Metro and I can picture oh, that one I in my can, head. I can picture this geoprism in I my head. I gotta picture this like, geoprism. Oh, such a glorious, <laughs> glorious car. I was just talking to somebody about like weird old, not weird, but just like cars that don't exist anymore. Yeah. I think I was on some sort of like work Zoom. <laughs> oh, that Go was ahead. not what I was picturing. Do you want to show it? Kind of like in the sock cam? Um, I don't know that it'll, it'll just like little pictures. It's just a little, um, it, it's like an upgrade from the Metro where the Metro was the like hatchback. You, it, uh, I'll try. Yeah, I, it, it's I like a- I don't think it'll really show up very well. But it's like an old, almost like a Corolla type. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Sedan car. Uh-huh. An old Nissan Sentra. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For some reason, I was. I, that's not what I pictured. It's actually nicer than what I pictured. <laughs> I was because the metro. I, I was I don't the know classic. how nice this car was. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, a stretch. I know. It's such a good description of the car too. It's oh like I can gosh. picture all of that, and like when someone stole your stereo, and you just have yes. all these little like uh, speaker wires and stuff, just hanging out, mm-hmm. just hanging out Nothing there. Nothing you can do about it. Listening to some music on the phone. Yep. Yeah, I've definitely had some beaters. I can I can picture all that in my mind. I know. <laughs> I uh, I was thinking about the cop thing just being so nerve-wracking. Like, you're driving home. You know you haven't done anything wrong. I mean, in this situation, not that's not <laughs> accurate. But just me, because I'm a perfect driver and I would never yeah. do anything wrong. Um, but just like, when you see siren lights, mm-hmm. I don't even care Like if you know that you haven't done anything wrong. You start to feel like hot and cold and clammy and like you're just anxious because they hold all the power in the situation right i mean like yeah. yes you could like stomp the gas and haul ass out of there might not work out for you very well right but. not a good plan not a good plan yeah and like just thinking about our kids and just you know monroe just started driving it's like having that conversation with her okay like okay uh-huh. when you get pulled over you pull to the side of the road you put your car in park you churn the car off it's like yep. a a courtesy to the cop to notify to them that you're not intending to try and get out of there. And you pull way off the road so you're not putting them out in traffic. There's all those little things like you tell them to do like to not just like needlessly piss them off. Right. And so can you imagine doing all of that? Yeah. And then 
this like creepy ass, <laughs> chapped lip, stinky. Yeah. Like reeks of vodka and cigarettes. Yeah. When I smell vodka cigarettes, I'm thinking like, how the fuck can I get out of here fast? Because I don't. I would think this person is posing as a police oh, officer. Oh yeah. I would not think. I don't. I don't know. Yep. 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 But then like, you know, they see something. I don't know. They they. I was imagining like a really wide grin on this guy's uh-huh. face. Like Just oh too, god, yeah, unnaturally wide. Oh, I would also be so afraid that I go home. The cop doesn't get me. They definitely did write down my license plate number, and now the cops are going to come to my house and arrest me. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. evading. Uh, what is the word I want? Evading, evading, yeah, evading yeah. authorities or evading arrest. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, but what if it just never happened? I'm trying to think of that. Of like, there have definitely been cases of people posing as cops who have yeah. killed people, which is terrifying. Terrifying. And then I'm trying to think if there's also been cases of people who were cops who have used their oh. powers to like locate an address. There was a guy, he's like, the, the he's known as like the cannibal cop. He never actually killed anybody. Yeah. But there was this guy that we did an episode on him actually too. And he was, he was a cop. And how scary is this? Who just got fixated on various women in his life. Like, like uh, girls he went to school with, aye, aye, you know, aye. like his wife's friends. And he got really deep into these horrible fantasies, like cannibalism fantasies. I think I remember this. Yeah, writing in forums about like all the things he wanted to do to them. I think his name was Gil something. I can't remember his name right now off the top of my head. But uh, but I do remember that he did like kind of like a lot of people's probably like worst fear of somebody who can use these databases they have mm-hmm. to when they spot you out in public based on your license plate, find your home. Uh. And then he would stake out their homes just to like, to look at them, see what their patterns were, to add to his fantasies. But but he never he never acted on them. Uh, That's still creepy. As so fuck. creepy, and he got in trouble for like abusing his authority and for like uh, yeah, well, stalking. Yeah, stalking and lots of terror. But I, I'm sure there's also been cases, sadly, of people going that next step. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, people abuse power in all sorts of positions mm-hmm. all the time. God, that'd be so creepy. Like have some, like you get a bad vibe from somebody when you get pulled over on the side of the road and then to see that person show up at your house later. <gasps> oof. I remember one time we were doing this show, but for any listeners who are new-ish and haven't yeah. heard this episode yet, uh, you were out of town for work. I was home and the alarm tripped itself. Like we don't even remember like how, whatever. Yeah. And the cops did come to the house. I mean, they eventually got a hold of you. Like, but my phone was yeah. on do not disturb. I don't know. I, for whatever reason. Yeah, freaked me out. Yeah. And, but I was just thinking about like how anxious I was just in that situation where they were there to help me mm-hmm. to have the cops show up at your house. When you're not expecting them. When you're not expecting them. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Especially in this instance, it was like, you know, dark and yeah. spooky and yeah, overnight. And yeah. And then like yeah. another time the cops came to our house because we have cameras and oh, it was actually so sad, but like an older person had gone missing and yeah. they wanted to see, they had like dementia or something, but they were looking to see if our cameras had like captured yeah, their car going by our house. Even that was scary. Like a cop. Yeah. And I was like, immediately I'm like, oh my God, who's dead? Right. Whenever it's unexpected. That, it made me think about, I thought about that when you're talking about being pulled over too. Like, like if I'm pulled over for speeding and I know I was speeding, then it's just a reaction of like, ah, shit. Yeah, exactly. All right, I'm going to take my lumps, you know? Totally. Like, but there's been other times I've been pulled over where it's like, you know, uh, maybe um, I didn't realize my tags had expired. Like I forgot mm-hmm. to put the new sticker on mm-hmm. or I had that a- That would never happen while you're married to me. That must have been before <laughs> me. Or like a brake light being out or some kind of light being out that you just weren't aware of. Yeah. And that is a completely different reaction for me where I'm like, I don't know why I've just been pulled over. Uh-huh. And then I definitely have like way more anxiety of like, what is this about? Maybe in those situations, I'm not turning my car off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I still do. 
I mean, I, I haven't, I usually don't assume that there's somebody posing as an officer. I know. But, but I'm just, yeah, just, it just, yeah, just a freaky situation. I guess now like the one like benefit is that I think everywhere it's a law that there have to be two police officers. Like you get pulled over in a second car always shows up. So in that uh, situation, if we've got a ghost cop, yeah, if you're like, if you're pulled over and the cop is just like giving you icky vibes. Yeah. I know I've been pulled over though in the last couple of years where it's like, it was just one. Just one car. That hasn't happened to me. Huh. No, must, I've, I've had the one one vehicle. I'm, I must look more sketchy than you. They're immediately <laughs> like, that. listen, lady, we don't trust you. <laughs> you want to do some spoopy shout outs? Uh, you mean Annabelle? Uh, An- Annabelle shout outs? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. yeah, no, all the things. I'm reading my page. It's a spoopy. <laughs> I'll start. Now, is this a typo perhaps that when you put a J-O-S-U-E, so like Jose, but with a U? No. There this week, I feel like all of the names are a challenge. The vast okay. majority of them. No. So it's like Joe Sue, uh, Lechuga, or Ho Hoseu. I, I haven't seen how like Jose with a U in between the S and the E before ever. I in know. My life. I double checked so, so many I'm, of these. I, I was like, what is happening? Hoseu, Lechuga, uh, Orlando, Higuera, Megan Pfeiffer, Samantha, Swangwan, or sw- Swang? Swangwan? I, I don't know. I know. I'm telling you, there are really <laughs> challenging names this week. Uh, Gia Johnson. Daniel fucking G- nailed it. Gia? G J or my my god, G H I A? Gaia. Gaia is G A I A. Because there's actually a company uh, known as Gaia. Gia. I, th- I bet it's Gia. Gia. Okay. Gia. Gia. <laughs> Gia or Gia? Yeah. Uh, Shantina Hatfield, Felicity, Adam Simmons, and Andrew Eggersgluss. I, like tough last names. I know. Uh, I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for giving us challenging names mm-hmm. to decipher this week. <laughs> Zinfana, Caitlin Parkin, Natasha Kirkaby, Olivia Jade Rivers, Rhonda, got it, Christina Gothard, Tiffy Diane, Taylor Lindsay, The Helpful Demon, <laughs> and Emily Reimer. 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 Okay. All right. Guys, I'm sorry. Well, there is, you know, I, I don't even feel bad anymore, honestly, at all. Oh, no, I just feel like, bad in the like, sense of like, sorry, I'm trying my best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For like mispronouncing names. You know, like I, I'm always uh, amused, I guess, when people like get, you know, visibly irritated at the airport or wherever when somebody's like yeah. calling their name wrong. It's like, have you ever tried to like just look at how many names there are? Mm-hmm. And then the problem is when people like immigrate and, and start a, new, a life in a new country, they'll morph their name to blend with like the new culture so it'll get even like more fucked up. Yeah. Like the pronunciation doesn't make any sense at all. I don't think that's the problem and I don't think it's more fucked up. (laughs) That is the problem. Like anglicizing foreign names is how the names got all like twisted away from their uh, phonetic spellings. Yeah, I'm just saying like like, like the, the, like what makes it difficult to pronounce it is like the anglicizing of it. Yeah. I don't want to make anybody feel bad for like trying to make their name well, I'm not making a video. I'm just oh, yeah. pointing out a just a fact. Yeah, they're just like they're just like there's just so many, and then there's all the names that weren't anglicized, and you don't know how they're pronounced in that country. Well, yeah, because it's like we're no matter how much you like travel the world or yeah. you know hear other things, it's like when it's not native to what you know, it's yeah. so hard. And I've even had it like you know with our name where it's like you know to okay. me Cummins is pretty phonetic, but it's like but it also looks like the spice of cumins. Oh yeah, that happens. Or cumings. Or, yeah, Cummins. I've had it, you know, just based on whatever, like, their language yeah. is. Yeah. 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 I When we got married, I thought, like, oh, great. All of my last name problems are over because I had an 11-letter last name. Yeah, Radzeminski. Yeah. Tricky one. And uh, I'm like, why is everyone putting a G in our name? 
it's not Cummings, it's Cummins. Yeah. But it's so funny. Like even I had this girlfriend that I grew up with, uh, their last name was Levi, like the jeans. Oh yeah. Messed up all the time. Levy, Levi. <laughs> Levy. Yeah. Uh, like just, I mean, she would tell me, I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Levi. I was like, but it's like the jeans. She's like, I know. Well, still. I get it. I yeah. get it. Yeah. I, yeah. Don't, I don't think anybody's upset about it. No, I, I wasn't saying they were. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just uh, just joking around, just to point out some stuff about names. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know why. Was, oh, yeah, was, yeah. Was, was my tone aggressive or something? Uh, yeah, you were just like, yeah, I just don't even fucking care anymore. Oh, I wasn't uh, trying to put across that energy. Yeah. yeah. That's, what, that's what I picked up. Yeah. I, I, right. I didn't want you to feel attacked. I was in support. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I have some spooky shout outs to TT and Uncle Mike from Auntie C, Uncle Ben, Sarah Dactyl, and P Dizzle. We appreciate you and we hope you had the best days ever. Uh, stay spoopy. To Frank the Cutie Pie from Grace the Cutie Patootie. I know things are tough right now, but you have so many people in your corner, including me, that love you. Keep your head up. To Richard from Richard, happy birthday to myself. And to Brian Beach Boy Wilson from Brian the Trader Tot, happy birthday. <laughs> Trader Tot. That's a good one. <laughs> and, uh, and that's our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, producing, directing, scoring today. Thanks to Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing listener stories for book number five. Thanks to producer Olivia Lee for finding both stories I told this week. If you would like to listen and watch, please subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube and check out the set. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want pics that accompany episodes uh, at Scared to Death Podcasts. We're on TikTok as well with the same handle. Uh, we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers. Get in there and meet some fellow horror lovers. And if you don't want ads, monthly bonus, uh, but you do want monthly bonus, <laughs> if you don't want monthly bonus episodes, no, if you do want monthly bo bonus episodes and more, check out our Patreon and enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within scared to death. Magic Productions. You're in your own bed and you wake up to a maniac with a weapon standing above you. Like, ah! I think I'd pass out in complete and utter fear. Shock. Complete shock. 100%. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Oh, man.